And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My very special guest today is Chris Bledsoe, who has not only had an extraordinary life with NDEs, but is also the most studied ET contactee in the United States and has received messages. Chris, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I'm honored to be here. Appreciate you. Well, Chris, before we get into your ET contact, I would like to talk a little bit about your NDEs. And from reading your book, UFO of God, I feel like you've had at least two. One where you were shot in a hunting accident and one due to medication. Can we first just briefly talk a little bit about the day that you were shot and then how you were outside of your body and saw the boys arguing? Yeah. Um, well, it was, um, it was New Year's Day in 1971. Uh, I was 10 years old, and uh, I had just turned 10 in October. <clears throat> and it was, it was um, hunting season was over. And uh, for deer, my dad was a big deer hunter, and they were working on the property. They had a, over a thousand acres there that they were managing, and they had a hunting club built on it. And so it turned into work day. They were cooking out a, a hog on the grill and um, out with a tractor fixing the roads where they've driven up and down through the fields and pulled the roads up. So us young boys, myself, my neighbor, he was nine, and my first cousin, he was nine. Um, we left to go dove hunt, bird hunt. And we walked about a mile from the club down the back of these big fields. And um, it wasn't long after we got there. It was uh, before lunch that morning. I was sitting in the field and my my cousin was on one side, my neighbor on the other, about a hundred yards apart, just spread out down the field. And uh, long story short, short a, a bird came down the field, and my neighbor shot and missed, and he come over me. And when I shot, he went away from me across the field and landed in the forest. So I stood up out of my little blind, and I walked over towards it, about a hundred yard walk. And when I got to the edge of the forest, I could see him up under the the brush fluttering around. It was injured, but it wasn't dead. So I had an old double barrel shotgun. I thought maybe I better load my gun in case it gets up and flies away and I could finish it off. So I cracked that old double barrel up and I'm about 25 feet from the bird. And when I cracked it open, this thing, it'll shoot the shells out right as spring loaded. Old Stephen 16 gauge, and I reached in my pocket, pulled two shells out, and was loading it. And I dropped one, so I reached down to pick it up, and I didn't know it, but my neighbor, of all things, he wanted to make claim of the bird. Didn't tell anybody. He just ran across the field, following me. I didn't even know he was behind me. Ran up behind me, and when I bent over to get my shell, he thought he had a moment. He could shoot right over top of me. Well, I stood up right when he shot, and he was six foot away. The gun barrel was that close, and it uh, hit me square in the left shoulder blade. Uh, blew a hole in me the size of an orange, 
still got a scar this big. And uh, I have lead all in here. You can even see it on this side. But immediately, I didn't feel the pain. It just drove me face down in the, in the brush. Uh, flattened me right flat to the ground like somebody hit me with a sledgehammer. And I could hear them fussing and fighting, crying. Who was going to get help? They thought they'd kill me. I thought I was dying. I just knew I was dead. And um, they began to argue over who was going to go get help. And uh, undoubtedly, uh, Vance, the one that shot me, my neighbor, his dad was a dairy farmer. And uh, we were raised on farms next door to one another. He could hear them fighting from a mile away. Because it was in the country. There's no cars, no airplanes, no traffic. But he could hear them. So he came down through the middle of that field with his old truck, ran in the woods and threw me over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes, put me in the front of that old Ford farm truck and drove me to the hospital and me bleeding to death. Next thing I know, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't know what was happening. I was out of my, I was out and I was in surgery for a long, long time. And they would, they would take me out of surgery and take me back into x-ray and do more x-rays and back into surgery to looking for lead. And they got all they could get. They, the 350 pellets went in my back. And there's still, there was 18. One came to the surface on my chest right here and came out. But there's still 17 in there. But the big thing was when I came to, I was being x-rayed for the last time on an old cold stainless steel table. I could see my mother looking through the window. Uh, I woke up, but what I remember is being in space, seeing the earth from a distance from the stars. And uh, I felt like I was surfing on a surfboard. I couldn't see what I was in. I just was out in space flying, but I was standing on something. I was inside something that was, you could touch the walls. The crazy thing is, Jeff, the same exact experience when they took me in 2007 for four hours. It was the exact same thing. I was inside what I know now was an orb. From inside, it looks totally clear, but I had a traumatic problem, you know, to deal with PTSD. I had all these tubes coming out of my back, chest, you know, where they were draining all this stuff inside for months. I couldn't walk hardly at all. I was basically, my whole left side was paralyzed. So it was a long recovery, um, but that was my best memory of being in space and looking back down at the earth. Now, if we fast forward, in time, your second NDE was due to medication and you were outside of your body witnessing yeah. the doctors and nurses talking? Yeah, um, this was in 2000 and uh, late 2004, uh, early of five. We sold the business in May of March of 05. So I was in the hospital. Um, I had, had dealt with Crohn's disease. I started out as IBS, and I was being treated for that, and then they, they started treating me for everything, Crohn's, um, 
and for 17 years I was on medication, but um, my company, I had 72 houses under construction in 2001 when the World Trade Center disaster happened and being in Fort Bragg, it just shut down the whole economy here and I saw a train wreck happening. Everything I had been in business for 20 years and had a pretty good cash reserve. But back then, the interest rates on borrowed money was eight, nine percent. So every house I had was about eleven hundred dollars, a thousand dollars a month interest to the bank. So imagine 70 houses. So I'm paying this interest out every month and I'm seeing it happen and I'm hiding it from my wife and children, trying to keep them happy and protected while dad was getting further down the hill with my sickness. It was affecting the Crohn's so bad that uh, when I sold that company, I was I would was in the bathroom 25 times a day. That's how bad it was. I was near dead. My family doctor um, told me that there was a new medication out, uh, antidepressant that is proven to help with this type of disease. They wanted to try it. So I'm like, whatever. It put me on that. Then he referred me to uh, a psychiatrist to monitor my medicine and have somebody to talk to because I had bottled this up, hiding it from everyone, right? And this doctor, believe it or not, of all things, he was uh, doing drugs. I mean, he was a grown man. He was older than me now. He, he was smoking when I went in his office. I thought it was the weirdest thing. But he was treating, he had 113 patients that he put in the hospital and overdosed himself and died while I and all these other people, uh, it got so bad, he was just writing any and every kind of prescription to all these people. And he wasn't checking my blood. And he was supposed to on some of this medicine. They have to check your liver and your functions and all that. And I had no clue what he was giving me. Uh, but I can tell you this. Um, it wasn't long where after a month of seeing him, I didn't even know who I was. I was uh, in and out, uh, so medicated uh, that um, within a short month or two after say three months into it um, my wife comes home from work trying to help sell this mass monster that we had and uh, and we had a remax company a real estate company we sold it all but she came home and i wasn't home and undoubtedly i'd gotten up and walked out of the house delirious and and fell out unconscious in the forest next to our home. There's a vacant lot and it really wooded. And I was down in there for some reason, out unconscious. So they rushed me to the hospital and I was laying on a stretcher, completely covered from head to toe with sheet. My poor wife was sitting next to me crying and the doctors came in the room, three of them, and I heard them. And I came out of my body and was hovering at the ceiling and I could see my wife there crying. And I heard these three doctors talking. I even heard their names. I named them. And I heard this guy say, this sure is a shame. This is the 113th patient that this doctor has injured really bad. 
And uh, so that was, that was, uh, I, I came back into my body and I sat up and um, I even spoke to my wife and told her the names of the doctors. They couldn't believe it. But it was another year after that is when I, I was still sick and at home recovering that my dad talked me into going back to work with him on a limited scale, whatever I could do. And that's how I ended up at the Cape Fear River in 2007 when all this took place. After either one of your NDEs, did you notice that you had new abilities that could be yeah. possibly considered psychic? Yeah, 100%. Like what? My wife was filming me. Listen, when all this was going on and I was recovering in 05 and 06, my wife and my children uh, was witness to that, these psychic abilities. I didn't know I had it. I mean, I'm still trying to grasp what happened to me and trying to, to, I mean, when you get injured like that, it takes a long time to recover. I'm telling you, I don't care who you are, how big you are. Uh, when you, something like that happens to you, it knocks the wind out of your sails and it did mine. But I began to be able to see into the spirit world. I could see these beings and nobody else could. And they were filming me showing them there's a being standing right there in our kitchen they couldn't see it they thought i was pure crazy but um uh, i've never changed and it's only gotten more uh I've, I've become more involved in the spiritual world and in fact i film it more than anybody in the world right now and that's a fact we've been studied by the government more than anybody in the history Right now, ongoing uh, study by government officials and scientists and academics. So, and we film that. Would you say being out of your body is similar to changing the channel on the radio? You just go from one run station to another, and it's basically your consciousness just change frequencies. And when you end, yeah. when you end that frequency, you see the other beings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Um, they're all around us. You know, I'm born and raised in a church, and they try to teach you, you know, heaven is way out there somewhere. They, they tell you it's way off, you know, and hell is way down in the ground. Well, I don't know about that. I don't, I'm not a religious person anymore. I'm a spiritual guy, uh, extremely spiritual. Um, but I think that when you die, I know this. Because I film it and I have thousands of photos and videos of, of entities and beings and some walking, uh, some flying, um, some still shots, orbs with people in them, orbs with animals in them, clear. And there's no doubt that uh, I think when we die, our body is contained within an orb or our spirit. And we're, uh, floating in the air around. I think that they're watching us. I, I, I really believe the, the, the real world is the eternal world around us. We're in a world that has a time clock. When you're born, you got a few years before you're gone. And in the span of time, it's a blink of an eye, right? And uh, so they're over on the other side watching us in this journey here. 
in this place called Earth, which is not the nicest place in the world to be. A lot of suffering here, a lot of heartache and trauma, death, suffering abounds big time. And, you know, you got all these crazy uh, people trying to start World War Threes and all that. I mean, it's got to end. So, and it does when you when you leave your body, it ends. But I think then we take a seat watching what's happening here. My thought. I have interviewed at least 500 near-death experiencers and a significant number now or afterwards start seeing UFOs. So in my opinion, and I'm wondering if this is true for you, do you think the NDEs somehow rewired you energetically where now they can easily spot you or people like you on the ground and that's how they find you? Yeah, um, yes, but I don't know that they need that to find you. Um, they can, they know what you think before you think it. They know what you're going to say. They know the direction you're going to look before you look. They can completely, um, you know, they're so far advanced from us. It's like my son calls me this week. He's in Wilmington, 80 miles away. I'm sitting in my yard outside on the phone with him, and he starts telling me about the History Channel. He's like, Dad, I think this History Channel show is going to be a hit. And the very minute he said it, three orbs appear in the sky right in front of me and begin putting on a show, right? And so I know for a fact that it was responding to his voice over the phone 80 miles away. Think about that, how it does that. I've done experiments, successful experiments, and we did this on the History Channel. I don't think they're going to to show it. They just didn't have enough time. But uh, and, and in Spain, let's just make it a little more complex. There's a lady in Spain that I have a, pod, a, a Zoom call with Thursday. She calls, has a group of 20 people, never seen anything. They go out on the mountaintop in Granada, Spain. They call me and ask me to have these orbs appear. And within 30 seconds, they got 10, 15 orbs around them flashing at them. So much they, they were couldn't even keep up with them. So now they're trying to fly me over to Spain to meet all these people. But we've been doing that for since 2016, quietly, without anyone knowing. I started it with NASA, a NASA friend of mine in Houston, Texas in 2016. And it's it's going all the way to Spain, several tests there, and other cities in Charlotte, and over Washington D.C., over Mount Weather, the most secured facilities around. Um, they they'll appear just by me calling these people, or they calling me. So, and we record it. We have it on video. Well, it's great that you don't have to travel anymore. No, doesn't matter. It's long distance. It's like quantum entanglement uh, is exactly what we believe it is, quantum entanglement. And we're documenting the first time in history outside of some CERN laboratory billion-dollar machine that gives you a little spark. And, you know, we're doing it live in the air in full view of cameras and multiple cities, three cities at one time. <laughs> 
I guess what I'm thinking is that, you know, there are 8 billion of us on the planet, but perhaps people who have had NDEs like you, they are able to at least pick you out of the crowd easier than the average person who hasn't. And maybe to them, you're easier to contact. I think it changes your frequency and our light. Maybe, you know, we're actually uh, children of light, according to the Bible. We're made of light. And um, I've studied this in depth, even with the Ryan Research Center at Duke University, to where a drop of blood, one, one drop of blood, one cell in a dark room with a photon uh, detector, black room, black furniture, two doors going in, dark as they can make the place, uh, they, they can put saline in a petri dish and drop one drop of blood in it, and the blood the, the blood cells pop. And every time they pop, they emit light, detectable by a photon detector. Oh. And so, yeah, we're made of light, and I think that our light shines maybe brighter to possibly to after having this frequency change from a near death. That's just my thought. You know, I'm just a, the thought and maybe they can see us uh, i don't know I, I really don't know it's it's like climbing mount everest with a as a toddler with no shoes and a diaper right it's it's a mountain to climb i think at least being on this side for things like that and ndes we will never know all the answers no it's not possible we're just touching the tip of the iceberg Period. Well, for those that don't know your story, can you briefly share some of the fishing trip where you had the first contact? Yes. Um, after the near death in 05, uh, early 05, late, it was early 05. Um, at, in October or September of what, four months, what? So it was about August or September of 06. My dad convinced me, you got to get out of the house. I was completely bedridden. And living next door to my dad, he was every day trying to to get me up and get me going again. Uh, I, I had no motivation. I was still sick with Crohn's uh, in the bathroom all the time. And he talked me into going to 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 the coast to build a a big beach house, about a two and a half million dollar house today. All I had to do was supervise the crew that he sent. So these men that were with me on that journey were dad's subcontractors. I just went with Chris Jr. and I to manage them, to look after them. They were living in a hotel. Jr. and I had rented a beach house there to stay while they were there. But after four months, right before Christmas, the um, job ended. All we had to do is go back at New Year's and do a little punch list and get the final 10% of the money. So I had, uh, I sent them, the boys down uh, the day after New Year's and they came back on the 7th, uh, no, the 8th, January the 8th of that year, it was 07, called me and said, we're on the way back to town. We got your check and it's time to celebrate. Would you consider taking us fishing? 
where they wanted to go was on the bank of the Ketra River, which is down in a muddy valley. I mean, there's a basin. You go down for like a hundred foot elevation from a cornfield. You drive through the woods down in elevation down in that river bottom to a little grassy uh, one acre cul-de-sac at the end of that quarter mile road. And um, everybody growing up around that community that knew that had permission would go camping there, fishing and water skiing off the bank and you could pull the boat up there. So they talked me into picking them up after they brought their money back, went to the bank, got back to their house. So I had the only four wheel drive truck that could get in there. And so I went around and got them all three, Chris Jr. and I. My wife was out of town for the whole week with her mother. And so uh, about 2.30, we pulled up into that cul-de-sac. We had to cross the cornfield 200 yards wide to the far side where the trees start. And then it's downhill an eighth of a mile to the river. Then you turn right and you parallel the river another eight to the cul-de-sac. It's a quarter mile from the field down in uh, one turn. And so we got there. They started fishing. They were sitting on the bank with a side-by-side -side with their backs to the truck. And um, I was in the right mode. I was in the mindset that I had lost everything I had after 20-some years of a business, successful business. and. I'm now looking at getting free school lunches for my children, and I'm 46, unable to work, broke, no money at all, sold everything I had to try to pay off whatever debt. Uh, we paid most all the debt off, but this company robbed us for $2 million. So it, it was a bad deal. So I was thinking the worst. Uh, you know, I, I wanted the pain was so bad, I wanted to die. But I love my children and my wife, so I didn't want to lose them. So I was, I was struggling. So I got them fishing. I said, I'm going to walk away down in the cul-de-sac, further in the woods, and sit by a tree for a while and see if I see any wildlife. I said, okay, boss, we'll see you. So I walked away about 3 o'clock. Come 4.30, it was already dark in the forest. Because in January, it gets dark pretty quick, like 5.30 to sunsets, right? So I'm in the forest, and the canopy had it so dark in there. It was like, I better come out, check on the guys, see if they still want to stay. And um, so I walked out to them, and they were having fun. I'm like, look, you guys are ready to go home, or you want to fish? They're like, we just got here. We want to fish. We've only been here an hour, hour and a half. I said, okay, uh, let's, let's stop fishing. This, this is my organizing, right? I'm always organizing. I said, let's get a bunch of wood together and start a fire. It's going to be below freezing tonight. So they set their poles on these little forked sticks. They had them leaning up, right? And all four of them, my son and these three men, they're about my age, a little younger. We gathered up a pile of wood this tall, this head high, dead wood around the perimeter. Got the fire going, and by 10 after 5, I felt like they were taken care of. I said, look, I'm going to walk up to the field the way we come in. Uh, still a little light left up there. It was the sun's 
you know, the sky was still a little bright. The sun was already down. So I walked away. And when I walked that eighth of a mile to the to the left hand turn, it was an eighth of a mile parallel in the river, eighth of a mile up to the field, to a gate up at the top of the hill. That gate is the corn fit. So I'm making my way through mud, uh, real thick bushes. When I get within, I guess, 40 yards of that gate, and I'm going uphill, I'm having to watch every step because the grass is, is, is probably a foot high or more, and it's mud and ruts where the truck. So I'm watching every step. I'd look up as I went a little higher. Still could only see the gate up there, right? And I get to where I could see basically the tops of the trees on the far side of the field. Still can't see the field. I saw what I thought was the, the sun setting late in the evening where you can look at it and it doesn't hurt your eyes. Setting sun. So I looked down, took a few more steps, and the higher up I got, the more I began to look at it and like, this thing don't look like the sun. It had fire swirling around it. It was about 40 or 50 feet around. Uh, but by two to three more steps, now I'm seeing a wider peripheral vision, and now there are two of these things I'm looking at. They're on the far side of the field, maybe beyond the road a piece, 300 yards from me. 100 feet in the air, 150 feet, two 50-foot round balls of fire, just orange, tangerine, blood red, orange is swirling, and the colors are getting darker and lighter. And fire, flames are shooting off as it's rotating really fast, this plasma fire. Being a commercial-rated pilot, I knew what I was looking at was not from anything from here. Nothing the military has, nothing that we have. It, the shock of my life, and this is daylight now. I'm looking at these two objects in the broad daylight. Sun is set, but still a blue sky. So I begin to hide, using the hill in front of me to hide myself. And I would duck down, I'd peep up, I could see him, I'd duck, and I'm panicked. What do I do? And I began to worry about my son and these guys. I'm like, I got to make a move. I, I can't, I can't rationalize what I'm seeing. So I got really scared and uh, I made the decision to run. And when I did, I had to stand up and run. So when I did, I would expose myself. So I thought I was hiding from them, but they were not no hiding. So the minute I turned my body to run and raised up, I had to look back one last time. When I did the third one up above me, out where I could see those two, but above them appeared like you turned the light switch on. And it shot down beside the other two. And, and within a second, it was I'm looking at three now, setting suns. And let me tell you, people that see UFOs, uh, they see a light in the sky, it flies by. That's one thing. It really affects you when you see it, right? But when it says, I see you, I'm you're on my radar. When I realized that, when it when it, when I went to run, it reacted to me. I knew it knew I was running. I knew I was in trouble. And the fear came in so greatly that 
I can't describe it. So the next thing I remember is running up to the fire, the last 50 feet. I don't even remember going down the hill. And when I got there, there's these three guys still, they're, they're not fishing anymore. The wood's gone, the fire's small, and they're standing around it. My son's not there. Uh, and I'm trotting up to him. I'm like, you guys won't believe what I just saw at the top of the hill. There's a UFO up there, three of them. They're like, where in the, and I'm not going to use the words they use, but where in the Hades have you been? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? I was just up at the field. I was only gone 20 minutes. No, you've been gone all night. About four hours I had been missing, and they had a, a manhunt ensued. They had taken my truck. One guy stayed at the fire. And the other two ran up and down the highway, all across the field. They looked for me for two hours and couldn't find me. All everywhere. My son left on foot, going into cul-de-sac back in the woods where I went earlier, hollering, calling for me, looking for me. And he got lost. He wasn't, he wasn't at the fire. And they had lost him and they had lost me. So when I realized he was lost, and it wasn't long after I got there, they were, they were really fussing me out for being gone on. I, I couldn't compute what had happened. You couldn't have made me believe I was gone more than 20 minutes. But when I found my son, I ran back across that cul-de-sac, crying out for him, where are you, son? Chris Jr., where are you? He wouldn't answer. And in North Carolina, around the fields, it's real thick around the edge, real thick shrubs, almost like hedges you know but once you get in the woods it opens up because of the canopy so there's not many weeds underneath but around the edges it's thick so what had happened is as he was hunting for me he was standing in the back of that cul-de-sac which they're at the front edge of the cul-de-sac on the riverbank so he had to walk you know away from them but he saw these orbs two red orbs coming down the path towards it you could see that whole eighth of a mile plus the width of the cul-de-sac uh, to the far where it turns. And he saw these two red lights cross the path, come back out of the woods and come towards him. Well, he couldn't go back toward the fire because he would had to walk towards them and he didn't know what he was seeing. And they came all the way to it. And when he uh, realized that they were coming towards him, he knew that they knew he was there. He tried to hide, so he backed himself. He laid flat on the ground and backed himself under these shrubs. I mean, thick shrubs. And when he began to describe to me when I found him, when he finally come out of there, uh, he was crying. He's like, Daddy, why did you leave me? I said, Son, I didn't leave you. I was just up at the field. No, Daddy, you've been going all night. Why would you leave me? These creatures, they, they scared me. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening now? All I could think of is, is I've been gone 20 minutes. I saw three big fiery balls of fire. And my son's talking about creatures that paralyzed him. When they'd look at him, he couldn't scream. He couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. He was gone for two hours. And he was in shock. And so I led him out of the bushes, over back to the fire where these three men were standing. And they were freaked out by now because I'm talking UFO and Junior's talking creatures, right? And one of these guys had seen the red ball of light 
go by. And he didn't want to say a whole lot, but he was freaked out by it. So suddenly one of the guys shout, look, and we all five of us look up. And if you take the brightest star like Venus in the sky and multiply it times eight or nine, uh, and then they just, from every point, they got real bright, they came together, they started going about, and then three of them landed in front of us, 75 yards away across the river. The river is 70 yards wide, 60 yards. So it was up on the bank on the other side. And they're about 50 foot around, pulsating, big, white welder's lights. And so you can imagine the fear that set in with this whole group. Pandemonium took place. We left fishing poles, we left coolers, we left rod and rails, everything there. Rand jumped in my truck and tried to go up out of there as fast as we could. We got to the top of the hill. There's these three same things that were at the top. When I got there earlier that day, they were still there. But the one that took me is no longer a round ball of fire. It looks like a football or a tic-tac. 45 feet, I guessed it to be because of the width of the road. It was sitting in the field between us and the highway. It went in the air. It was five feet off the ground, crossways of the road, hovering. Couldn't go. Our, our path was blocked. There was no driving out of there. So we're worried about the three that landed behind us. We got three in front of us, and one of them's on the ground. So everything was happening. The the amount of uh, fear between us all. I wasn't afraid anymore. The weird thing was, I was terrified when I first saw it. But whatever they did to me when they took me, they took all fear away. And they imprinted stuff into my brain that I've shared some of it, but not all of it. And, uh, but they, what they did is they told me that uh, you're gonna have to tell the world what you saw. And it's very important you do. And so that started after that, my mission to tell what it was that happened that night. And it just gets started. I mean, I'm just getting started. It, there was a whole lot more to that without spoiling the book. and. Um, and right after that, it was NASA that came knocking on my door. Well, they ended up following you home that night, right? Yeah. And either that night or the next night, you actually had some type of communication with the beings. Yeah, two nights, two nights. It was uh, Monday night, and then again two nights later on Wednesday night. So what happened was when this thing sitting across the road in front of us, we must have been there five, seven, eight minutes with it hovering. And everybody's thinking the world was coming to an end. I heard guys saying, I will never see my wife and children again. I Just get me home. The world's coming to an end. We've been invaded. We all thought this. Um, so uh, that that thing sitting in front of us, this tic-tac looking uh, thing, like a football laying on its side. It just pivots and starts towards us. And it got a little higher as it got to us. And when it went over our truck, uh, it went right over the sunroof. You can see it out, you know, looking out the window or up through the top. It was so low, I could have shot it with a homemade slingshot and it hit it when it went over. No sound, 
it was it was blinding bright white was orange when it was hovering but now it's bright white so we tore out of their home there's a lot more that happened on the way uh pretty interesting stuff you know my wife was killed uh and i found her that's in the book well it was that night that changed my life that removed the ptsd that i'd had about her death for 20 years I could never get over what happened to her because I witnessed it. I found her a total stranger. I thought laying beside the road where a car had turned over and I got out looking for this person, didn't recognize the car and it was my wife. Well, that was right next to where we were. And when we went by that spot, there was this huge thing hovering right over top. So I tried to stop and the guys wouldn't let me stop. They were shouting at me. But that's when it all was placed in my head that night. You, know, you don't need to worry anymore. It wasn't your fault and she's okay. Just to clarify, that's your first wife. Yes. So she died uh, 11 months and 28 days, like uh, a day or two before our wedding anniversary, first year. And uh, But I had to throw that in because it's an important part of this journey where people understand my interaction with this it wasn't anal probes and the Pleiadians and the Galactic Federation. Who knows that kind of stuff? Come on, you know. Um, this was a spiritual experience. I was crying out to the heavens, and these fiery chariots or fiery balls came. They they removed this pain I had about losing her, thinking that it was my fault the whole time. But when we got home, after dropping these guys off, uh, Chris Jr. was panicked. He's running through the house. He's locking every door. He's turning on the lights. He'd go in the bathroom door with no windows. He'd turn the light on, lock the door. So he had the whole house batting down. I'm in my study looking at TV, trying to find it on the news. You know, any way I could, YouTube, however I could find it. Nothing. It was like crickets. We couldn't believe it. So after he gets all the floodlights on and all that, he comes in my room and he's, um, you know, just beginning to start to talk about what had happened when we hear something come over the house. It sounded almost like a helicopter, but different. I envisioned it, a, a, a Black Hawk from Fort Bragg going toward the river. I just knew they were going to, to investigate. But suddenly my dad lives next door had a dog kennel with hunting dogs. He had 15 hounds back behind his house. Every one of them began to bark. And they were barking this real afraid bark. You tell a dog when they're afraid, they make a different noise. You know, um, and I don't want to imitate it, but I can very easily. Growing up with dogs all my life, you know, hundreds of them. He had 104 at one time, but he always had them. From before I was born till he died, he had all these dogs. And um, they were 15 hounds. You could hear them a mile away. A hound has a very loud mouth. So imagine 15 of them uh, less than 100 yards from me in the forest behind our house. Just every breath barking. And my dog, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, was sitting on the back steps barking every breath, hair standing up. So I thought somebody was breaking in dad's garage because it was out next to the dog kennel. 
thinking they saw somebody trying to get in and they didn't know what it was and they were warning us. So I said, Christopher, somebody's breaking into that shop. I had all my tools there, you know, boats and tackle and everything. He's like, no, daddy, you can't go outside. You can't go. I said, somebody's breaking in that shop. We'll use Rosie to keep us safe. We won't take a flashlight and we'll just sneak out there and see if we see somebody. I'd put the dog on them and run them out. So after um, protesting loudly for a few minutes, he finally agreed to go with me and he grabbed me by the back of the shirt. When I opened that door, this dog, Rosie, she takes off, runs out 40 yards, stops, looks back to see if we're coming. And then she went on. So we snuck back toward the dog camp, quiet as we could in the dark. Had to walk through the woods on a two-rut path to get back there. And when we did, it was the loudest. Imagine the voice, the noise now. It's really exciting because all these dogs, and they're getting louder the closer we get. Deafening. We could see every one of them in the kennel looking behind the kennel in the woods, not toward the garage. So I was bummed by found a why if it was a person breaking in the shop they would have went to the highway they wouldn't be hanging around behind the dog kennel so it must be a bear or uh, something coyote no tell so i told chris i said i'm gonna send rosie in flush out whatever that is and you and i'll run back to our yard and there's a big oak tree there we'll use it to hide them. but we got to run to get ahead of this dog so I bumped her on the rear and I said, get him, Rose. And she jumped in the woods going full bore, barking every breath. And uh, we took off running. And when we got to the, the grass, we ran out of the two road to the grass. And I had to go make a left turn to get to that tree. He turned loose of me. And I thought that I just pulled away. But what had happened is he had no more time for this. He went back to the house. He ran to the house hard as he could and got inside and locked the door. And I, thinking he was behind me, ran all the way to the back of the property, another 75 yards, I guess, ran up against this big oak tree and stopped myself in a full run. And I'm trying to be as quiet as I can, but I'm panting. You know, and I hear the dog coming up. And I, my hands are against the tree. So I look back to see if Chris Jr. is behind me. I just knew he was going to run right up to me within a few seconds of me getting there. And when I did, it wasn't Chris Jr. Behind me, standing less than four feet. If I'd have leaned forward, I could have touched it. Was this tiny uh, human-looking figure. It was uh, about like a four-year-old child, a toddler. Three feet tall, maybe three and a half. It was glowing the color of the moon, a soft white color. Its body looked like it had a glassy, shiny exterior cover, and it was gleaming glass, just brilliant shine to the outside, but soft glow underneath. And there was a triangle on its chest right there, which really got the attention of NASA and government officials because i'm describing things they knew about they had never nobody ever described ever and i'm describing it to a t so they all knew right away i was uh on something but anyhow 
uh, when I saw it, it scared me so bad. I just thought I was dead. I just knew that it was chasing me to harm me. So I got closest to the tree as I could. I didn't want to get closer to it. And I turned to face it with my back against the tree. I dropped my hands to my side and I said, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, harm. I just knew it was going to harm. And this voice said, you don't understand. Now, my dog's still coming, getting louder. She's getting closer by the minute. All this happened so fast. And he said, or it said, you don't understand. We're not here to harm you. We're here to help you. And about that time, Rosie comes out of the woods, and it just vanishes right in front of me. It disappeared. It was visible one second. Next second, it won't. But Rosie ran on out of here. She kept going like she was still chasing something, the scent of it or whatever. So instead of uh, uh, running back to the house, I just took my time and walked back, thinking, how am I going to tell my son what I just saw? He's had enough trouble tonight. I don't want to tell him anymore. So that's when uh, that I knew that it was a spiritual thing that it came because I was calling out to whoever's up there, help me. And I got the help. And let me tell you, it has never left yet. Uh, I filmed, I took 15 videos last night. And some of the orbs, one came out of the sky with a witness here from Charlotte, came out of the sky flashing, and came within 10 feet of us last night. And he witnessed it. So th this is uh, all the time. This is, and the government studies, different people study it with me and have witnessed it. The next night you got a message, or two nights later you got a message from the being that we're all connected. Can you tell us about that message? Yeah, uh, it was two nights later, Wednesday night, they came back and out behind our house, they actually left these circles in my yard, three of them, uh, burned the grass, 16 foot circles with a perfect green donut, two foot across in the middle. So it was a, a donut burnt. Grass didn't grow for three or four years. But there were two of them that I saw uh, that night. I had gone back when I saw them, my son was terrified. Christina was absolutely terrified when they came back. He wanted to forget about what happened. So he's looking out the back door and his lights are pulsating back behind our house and he freaks out. And so uh, being a dad, I just thought, I'm going to end this. I walked in and grabbed a rifle out of the gun case and a little short 44 Magnum Winchester lever action that I bear hunted with. I had it along my side and I took off. I'm going to settle this. That's what I thought. You know, my son don't need this anymore. It was just a the human thing coming out, right? Even though I, I, I'm not thinking about what it told me. So I got within 20 yards of the orb. I couldn't get any closer. The electro uh, static from it was so great and intense that it was, my whole body felt like pins and needles. I felt the electricity from it so great. I just could not go forward anymore. And so I turned around and it was in the forest. It was in a Christmas tree farm that the trees were so overgrown. They're 40 feet tall and they didn't ever sell them. So they grew, they grew together and there was no way to walk through there. 
the trees were just in rows and they were touching one of those. So you had to go underneath. And it was no sunlight to the ground. So it was a perfect uh, three foot, as far as you could see in any direction, underneath these trees, uh, up under them. Probably wouldn't get wet under there if it rained. It was so thick. But I could see uh, in a clearing in that tree, in that farm, there was a little clearing where there was once a little camper in there. Uh, I could see that orb on the ground, pulsate, and not the whole thing, just the bottom part of it. It was blinding, and I crawled under there till I got within 20 yards, and I turned around and backed out. I just couldn't take it anymore. And when I walked out of the woods, I had to step over a broken down hog fence. Used to be a hog farm there, and the trees had fallen over it and crunched the fence down. Well, when I stepped over it, there were two of these same little beings up here, one on each side of them. I'm now stepping right between them, and I'm like, oh, my God, they appeared right in front of me. Having the gun in my hand, immediately, this overwhelming sense of guilt came all over me. And I tried to hide this weapon. I felt the biggest shame ever at that moment. And, and I guess between... Uh, they telling me they were here to help and to whatever they were projecting into my mind, I completely uh, was was uh, horrified at me grabbing the gun, right? So I ended up getting rid of all my weapons. I, I got rid of every gun I had. There were 20-some of them were all gone. Uh, and, of course, I don't hunt anymore. I don't do any of that. And that happened that night. One of these beings spoke to me and said, you must understand that everything on this planet is a, a living organism, a living being. It has a conscience. The trees, the grass, the bugs, all animals are all a part of a enclosed system that they, they, they told me, we're the guardians, that we tend to this planet. That's what they told me. I told this to MUFON 15 years ago, that they oversee a lot and that all life has its own. It's, it's like you don't tell uh, all the cells in your body. They, they put this in my head. The cells in your body are communicating with an intelligence. You're not telling it what to do. You're not telling uh, anything in your body what to do. It's connected to this consciousness, this this force that uh, that comes in the light. This green light is encoding all information to every living thing, and it's completely independent of me. And I was told never to harm anything else no bugs, no animals, no birds, because if it runs from you, it don't want to die. And it's not my place to take its life. And so I was transformed that night from a guy that had a record of hunting since five years old. I'm in the Boone and Crockett record book for shooting one of the most largest black bears in North America from six foot away. Nearly killed me. If I'd have missed, he'd have killed me. Um, I've hunted all over the country, Montana, Texas, everywhere. 
and uh, to this day, I don't hunt anymore. I don't fish. I don't. I don't do any of that. I don't touch bugs. I don't hurt them. I pick them up and take them outside. I don't want to harm them because it's not my place to do it. Um, we just got to take care of this world, and there's so much more I can talk about. Would you say that you also became vegetarian? Yeah. I, in fact, uh, I can't stand the smell of meat anymore. Um, I do not. I told my doctor uh, I don't want to, to consume meat anymore. And it's my rheumatologist. And he's like, uh, she was absolutely not. You have got to have meat protein because you're autoimmune disease. I had a very bad case of rheumatoid arthritis. To, I was in a wheelchair in 2020, late 2019, and um, on chemotherapy and this cocktail of drugs at $25,000 a month is what they were charging my insurance company for this stuff. And um, she's like, you've got to have meat protein. Your body can't live without it. You die without it. So uh, but now I have uh, gone off all that medication since 2020. I did it in faith, and I've gotten better. And I don't eat the meat that I used to. I still do, but I am seriously considering going off of it. But I'm trying to regulate my body. I don't want to do it too quick. And uh, But yeah, uh, I absolutely don't want to think about it yeah that's something that i think about too is yeah you know spiritually you don't want to eat meat but then we live in this 3d realm here that it seems like meat is a great source for the body at least for energy wise yeah protein well, you have my daughter explained to me you, you absolutely have to have meat protein and the fat from it or uh with the drugs I was on, uh, it would cause me to get worse, is what she told me. So I'm still battling with that test, the whole thing, the idea of it. It's gotten to where I can't stand the smell of any of it. All meat smells bad to me. Pork is like this nasty smell. I can't hardly bear to, 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 to eat it because it smells so bad. Man. And I think that's the phenomenon that's helping me naturally come off of In the book, I believe you described the beings stepping out of the orb, yeah. and later you're actually inside of an orb, yeah. and you're going to see the lady. Yeah. So do you feel that the orb is a transportation vehicle for spirits, or do you think the orb itself can also be a spirit? I think the orb is the being itself. Um, I can tell you, I have I have video, video of an orb approaching me and two ladies, one with cancer. I wrote about her in the book. This orb comes right up to within arm's reach, five or six foot of, of us. We're standing side by side. I'm in between these two ladies, and the one on my left has cancer. Her name is Sharon. She's in the book. This orb approaches us, and they're always spinning, rotating. Everyone you see is always rotating, all of them. Um, this thing is rotating on camera, 
comes up within five feet, six feet, and then it flashes. And when it flashes, out steps a six or seven foot tall glowing white humanoid figure. But now the orb is inside the figure. So the being come out of the orb. Now the orb is inside the being. It's like his essence, his, his force, his, his life. So they can train they can they can take you in those orbs too. There's so much we don't know. But I, I have it on video. I have a clear, good video. And the thing was, this young lady had cancer and she's cancer free today. It it removed her cancer. We were praying for her. And during that is when it came. That's amazing. Yeah. Can't, all right. I would, after all this happened, you, you know, you were, you had discussions with MUFON, you had a TV show on the Discovery Channel that turned out to be a disaster. And if we fast forward into your life, your next major encounter was that you were basically going to give up on all this when you encountered the lady. Yeah, this was 2012, um, five years later. And um, what led up to that is the most important thing, is when I came home, Chris Jr. and I, being in a religious community and a religious background, I was a deacon in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. I was born and raised a Baptist, but I married a Pentecostal Holiness girl. I was married 40 years this year. Um, her her family is one of the pioneers in that movement and brought it here to North Carolina. So you know they're they're very respected in that. And that's a big community. Well, you would have thought I was dealing with the devil when I came home talking about these balls of fire came out of the sky and and um, they they took my crones away. Well, immediately I had the worst backlash from the community and the church. They were at my house with holy water, sprinkling my bushes and me, trying to rid the devil from me. And it got me so angry with the whole thing. I locked myself in my room for a year and I wouldn't talk about it. Afraid I'd lose my family, my wife, if I did. And uh, finally, I'd had all I could stand. I had to talk to somebody. So one year later, within a month, I reported it to MUFON. I actually did 10 months later, but it was February before they came. And um, they brought everybody. They had six people here from all over. From They came from Colorado to Maryland, everywhere. Descended down upon us and convinced me oh within two weeks of them being at my house they had convinced me to do a documentary show that we're going to vindicate you this is the you've got to tell the story we'll get discovery channel and they sold me and the whole family they were protesting they didn't want a part of it. but i pushed forward to, to be vindicated i got to be vindicated well they did just the opposite it was a hit piece that they orchestrated that they tried to make me look like I was crazy and a liar. Worst thing they ever did because they didn't realize where it was going to go, that it was still there and was coming back and I'd be documented. So what they did to me and to my family 
was uh, they did it and left and wouldn't come back. Once the show aired on Discovery, the whole community started either making fun, my children, me, attacks every day of my kids at school. They'd come home crying. My little girl is nine, 10 years old. You know, these people were horrible. Even their teachers were calling them out in school, in the classrooms. So five years of that, a good five years, I'd had all I could stand. I would go out every night and pray, just let me share your presence. I know you're there. And they would show up. We'd all see them. My children would see them. My wife would see them. Then we became us isolated from the community. My wife was living in two worlds, trying to go to church and be around all that. But yet coming home and seeing all this stuff in the house, she was frightened to death. Um, and MUFON just stirred the whole pot, caused hell to come upon my family. And so uh, Easter of 2012, I was mad. I walked outside because I could never film it. I could never take a picture, even though we'd see it. As soon as I'd get the camera out, it disappeared. So I got mad. And I said, why did you come here? Why did you take me? Why did you heal me if you're going to leave me in this predicament? I've ruined my whole family. I've ruined my children. They're just young. They're 15, 16, 17 years old. My boys dating girls now. They're ashamed. It caused my son to quit school. I mean, it was the worst thing. I could have strangled these people. And I was crying out, God, help me. That And, and no help. And then that night, 2012, Easter, Saturday night, Sunday morning's Easter, I walked outside and I started shouting at the sky, I'm tired of you. I'm not ever talking about you again. You can come if you want, but I'm not even going to pay you attention. You asked me to tell the world, and now you left me in a mess. And that's what I said each Saturday night. I went in and went to bed just completely upset. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, I heard this loud voice. And it was sounded like thunder. It was a man's voice. And it said, arise. And this real deep thunderous voice. And I sat up in the bed staring in the dark. And I saw the clock. It was 3 a.m. Then I began to see this movement. And I'm saying, who's in my room? I heard that. I knew my wife, but she was staying with our daughter because the boys had all the friends over. And mama's being that old bear, you know, taking care of our little 10-year-old girl while these boys are around or She's about 15 by then. So um, I don't know why. I began to feel like I was in a trance. I stood up. I got from my underwear is all I had on in bed to fully dressed, shoes, pants, jacket, everything. I walked out of the house behind these figures. And when I got out, they led me straight to the dog kennel, right where it all happened five years before, where I had the encounter with this being that said, we're here to help you. And one of these figures handed me this object that looked like a five-pound pack of hamburger, a tube, right? It looked just about that shape but it didn't have any features at all other than it was furry. It felt alive. It felt warm like a living creature and the fur was prickly. It was like a hedgehog I was holding sort of, but I didn't know what it was and I dropped it and I heard this voice say, no, pick it up. You must keep it. So I reached down to pick it up and I'm right there at the dog kennel. When I did, 
they were gone. And this wind, well, I actually picked it up and I set it in the camera and closed the door on the camera thinking, I don't know what it is, it'll be safe there. And they told me to keep it. This is what I'm thinking. It's secure. But the minute I closed that door and I stood up, this wind, uh, a rushing, strong wind come out of the forest. And I saw the tree in front of me disappear. It's like a hole. And out of that hole, a portal, came a cow, a bull, is probably 12, 1,500-pound bull running straight at me and ran over top of me. And when it ran over me, I fell all the way back on my ground, on the ground on my back. And when it went over me, I could see up through it. I thought that was weird, but I was still afraid. I rolled to my stomach. Now I'm looking the other way. All in a second, I hit the ground. I rolled over to run, right? But I raised myself up to my knees and that's as far as I got because the cow wasn't there anymore. The power that that thing, the sheer power scared me just extremely. It was powerful. It was the most powerful experience. Now, I went from sheer terror and power to the most beautiful woman, glowing, the color of the moon, bluish white color. She looked as solid as you do. She was floating three feet off the ground. Her feet were at my chin. I'm on my knees and her feet are about my chin level. I guess I'm about three feet if I'm on my knees tall. She was six, seven foot away from me and the ground was lit up around her. Her light was creating light in circle. I was in that circle. And she looked at me and she leaned forward and she said, you know why I'm here. And I knew immediately why she was there. It just permeated through my whole body. Uh, and she said, this is your burden. You must bear. And if you do what it is you're supposed to do, I will always be with you. And I will let you share our presence with uh, camera and with witnesses and I'll help direct and guide you from this point forward. And so I agreed readily. And let me tell you that if you read the book, uh, people won't believe what happens after that. But immediately, I began to get photos and videos. I began to be able to bring people to my house and orbs appearing around us. And to this day, um, it's grown stronger. It's uh, this power to help others. I don't know how to use it. I don't know. Uh, but I have seen healings happen, like Sharon with her cancer. That was in 2015 when the orb appeared and the being come out of the orb um, and she was healed from that. Uh, there are stories in the book of me being in Washington, D.C. with the highest levels of government with one of the most prominent families up there, child sick, unable to ever eat, mitochondrial DNA disease, was had a had a make a wish, was gonna die. And CIA uh, folks uh, extended an invitation. I got a plane ticket and was in Washington a day later. And that young boy now and I just spent Memorial Day the weekend together with my great friend Jim Simi Van. 
uh, which is CIA. He wrote Ford in the book. Uh, and we filmed orbs over his house. And by the way, his house is down the street from Joe Biden's house. So we had orbs flying all over everywhere. And we filmed it. We got eight or nine videos. Um, and so, yeah, the, just things started happening after she came. Uh, the ability to see it, the film it, the study it got greater and greater. And uh, it was, I, I have to say, this has turned into the greatest thing ever in my life. She said that this is your burden to bear. So yeah. to me, that means you agreed to this at some point. Do you think so, that, do you think you made this agreement pre-birth? I think it's entirely possible. You know, I would, I'm speculating, right? We're all guessing, yes. but I would say it's entirely possible that, uh, in fact, in one of the regressions, they, it came out that I was brought here from somewhere else for this time. And, uh, you know, look at the world, look at the world where we are, threats of nuclear war right now. This is no joke, you know, what's going on. And this disease that has, this virus has killed millions millions i told about that disease before it happened in 2019 10 interviews i said there's trouble coming lock your doors last time i told it was on jimmy church in 2020 or early 2021 it's not over yet you hadn't seen anything in 2020 i was out in california talking about it but they showed me that and uh, i didn't know what was what it was they just said troubles coming warn the people and uh, and lock your doors and store up. And that's what I was saying. I don't know what it is, but something's coming. And um, I started that in 2019. And what's COVID name? COVID-19. It was released in 2019 from that lab, however it got out. And straightway, Easter of 2019, something come and hovered over my pond for 30 minutes. I filmed it for 18 minutes, an orb hovering over the pond. And that's what warned me to tell the world. And uh, that's when cameras started coming and the uh, the activity started going up exponentially, like 100% greater year by year. And today it's off the charts. I mean, one wouldn't believe it unless it came here. Now you met with the lady again later and she gave you a warning about the star of Regulus. Yeah, she, uh, and that, I've been obsessed with her and Utah ever since then. This was in 2013, uh, Easter again. Remember, she came on Easter of 2012. Now it's Easter of 2013. And I'll tell you, every Easter from that point forward, something major has come. Orbs, the lady, the fire from the sky. I filmed it a hundred times this year. Last night, it was all around. It's this flame that burns. Uh, sometimes over my head. Sometimes it comes out of the sky and appears around us. And it did last night. Um, but she, you had to read the book to understand the whole sequence, what happened. But basically, I was taken up through the top of my house in an orb. It's the best thing I can tell you I was in with these three same beings. Three is a magic number, always three. They come in threes. Um, they'll line up 
with a triangle in the sky, just like the triangle on the end of his chest. They're they're always showing me three. And um, but I was taken to a desert canyon, some far away. I didn't know where it was off planet. I didn't know where it was, but I began to realize I'm pretty sure it was Utah. And some of those old canyons, old Indian ones down there. Uh, and I wrote about that in the book, and I've been obsessed with it. And uh, I'm fixing to go on a journey out there in search of her, because I think that I'm going to be able to film her and share her presence with the world. Just like Fatima, the same lady, those children were told, bring all the people out, and you'll be able to see us today. And they brought 80,000 people out of the villages, two villages next to one another. They all got to see her. But she told me that night, uh, we, we were transported to a, this desert canyon, rocks, walls up either side, this yellowish sandy bottom. And I could see a light coming around the corner way up ahead. It was just a left-hand turn and the light was coming from that direction. And when I got there to, to the corner and made that turn, I could see her up on a ledge. Um, and it looked like a huge stone chair that she was standing in front of, um, hovering her feet just above that rock edge. And she looked at me and she said, when the red star of Regulus appears on the horizon in the gaze of the Sphinx, it will be at that time, and this is before dawn, just before daylight in the morning, when that red star is in line with the Sphinx, right on the horizon before sun comes up, that there will be a change in this world and to a new knowledge would come. What does that mean? I'm not sure. I have my ideas, but uh, it's going to be a glorious thing, my thoughts, the way she revealed it to me. And so... I didn't know what it meant. And I called a friend of mine, Lisa Hagen. She's a, she's a literary agent up in Virginia. I said, Lisa, you won't believe what happened to me. And, and this, this, this really weird uh, alignment this, this, the lady gave me. And so she called friends of hers this into astrology. And they ran it on a chart, this machine, and found out that there is going to be that alignment. And it comes at Easter of 2026. So whatever it all means, you know, she told me that. So I'm on the lookout for, I think we'll be fully awakened by that point. I think that's coming, but I don't know. But I can tell you this, right after that is when my dog, two weeks later, I realized that I should be trying to help the sick as much as I can. And that set the next 12 or 13 years of my life from that point, trying to help those in need. What are your thoughts about what this new knowledge is going to be? If I had to say, uh, just, and I'm guessing, right? It could be, it could be anything. It could be any, but what I envision is once the world is awakened to this information, once all that 
what's going to happen to the 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 theory of evolution? It's got to go bye bye. I'm sorry for these folks, but that's the lousiest thing that anybody could ever come up with with an explanation because it just means they don't know. The word evolution means in enough time, this is how these smart guys try to explain. It. In enough time, uh, uh, anything can make itself. Yeah, right. You know, let's get real here. And I think that's what's going to happen, that we're going to have to rewrite all the history books. We're going to have to rewrite the academic world. They're going to have to they're going to have to realize that they've been wrong the whole time and a new knowledge is going to come to this world. And I think it's going to be that we were created by an intelligence we don't understand. Uh, I think the Bible had it more right than we realize, if I just have to say. Your book is titled UFO of God. How did you come up with that title? Actually, uh, my manager, Dave, uh, he's been a great inspiration to me. Uh, he was the one that was behind me the whole way trying to get me to write this book because he experienced the phenomenon with me in such a way that his life was forever changed, his whole family. And it gave him that burning desire to, um, to help me. And so that cover of that book, I saved it. 10 or 12 years ago when it was sold at auction. It's the lost Leonardo da Vinci. And when I saw it, the orb in his hand, it's an orb, by the way, it's not a crystal ball. Anybody thinks that, look again, because Leonardo would have surely known that if it was some sort of glass or crystal ball, the image in the rear would be reversed. And it's clearly not. And if you look closely at that orb, under high definition, you'll see bubbles inside, like it's full of water. And um, these orbs that I'm filming, and uh, I would say pay attention to the History Channel August 1st. Uh, they're about the same size as what he's holding in his hand. Uh, and they all actually look like raindrops. They can join together and they just kind of go bloop like they like two water drops would come together. I've witnessed it 100 feet over my head, 200 feet. So um, the book, um, the, the, the cover, the experience calling out to the heavens, uh, having it come with prayer, that's the way it comes today. I pray it comes. There's no summoning. You can't call them like dogs. People think, they go through some protocol and they're going to have contact. You, you can't, you call, if the dog's name is Paul and you're calling Teddy or Frank, Paul's not going to listen to you, right? Same with this. If you don't understand what it is you're dealing with, you're not going to get their attention. They might flash at you or give you a little hint, but until you understand what you're dealing with, you're not going to connect with it. Not on a deep level. I figured out that uh, that connection a long time ago. And and I see it the same way today that I saw it back then. I call on it in prayer. And I'm not praying to them. I just pray like I always do, right? Like I was taught from a little guy. 
and they hear me and here they come. And it's, it's evident to anybody that comes here when they see it. So I'm sorry for getting sidetracked. No, no, I want to add to that. When you're praying, do you think or use the word God or Jesus? Uh, the three dots in that orb represent the triad. We have seen orbs around our house, 20 foot in diameter, that has the same three dots. Tree top high. Just above the trees. The orb 20 foot round has the same three dots. Or that touch. Uh, but I, I just call on the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like I always have, the Trinity. And it works. So try it. You know, if you don't believe, okay. But if you want to experience this, that's the best advice I can give. That's how it appears to me. And it's in prayer. You, know, you can't go out there and say, hey, come here. I want to see. You think they're going to show up? No. They laugh at you. until you connect and understand who you're calling or who you're talking to. Uh, you're not have much luck at at all. And I have changed hundreds of lives the way they see this. Hundreds, thousands, I have thousands writing all the time saying my life was changed. I read your book. Now I can see or. We, I mean, we're blown away how many people are writing us, telling us, I read your book, and it changed me, and now I'm starting to experience it. So. And that's why I wrote that book, is because I know all of us can connect. We can all connect straight to the spiritual world. You know, what are their names? I don't know. Who are they? We got to figure it out. But it's real, and that's what matters. You mentioned in the beginning that you're not religious anymore, but spiritual. Right. Can you expand on how your faith or your spirituality has evolved? I was pushed out of the church because I was given an ultimatum. And I don't like nobody telling me, you do this or you're not going to do that. I'm a grown man. You're not going to tell me. I was praying to God. I won't pray to Satan, right? But first, we got to get that straight. Um, I have a connection with this spiritual realm that is sweet and and heartwarming and loving and wonderful. And it's to me, it's like I can call on the heavens and they come. Why do I need to go sit in a church and somebody tell me how I got to do it and tell me what I got to do and how I've got to act and what I got to wear? You know, I've got to be there then. And if you don't do this, you're going to burn in hell. I don't want to hear that anymore. You know, I want to be a good guy. I think the church is a wonderful place for people to 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 help others. They do wonderful things. I'm not against the church, but um, I am closer to God now than I have ever been. When I go outside and I start praying, the heavens come alive. I couldn't do that when I was going to church, but I can do it now and I can show others. And everybody that has had this experience is uh, pretty much changed their life. And it's become a, a wonderful thing. It's become a heartwarming thing. And it, and it brings you closer to knowing that God is real. You know, so. 
don't think I'm doing talking bad about the church because I'm not. But I'm not a religious guy. I don't need somebody telling me how to talk to God. So in the big picture, how do these beings fit in with religion? Would you say they're angels or messengers? I think they're angels, messengers. You know, the word malik is a Hebrew word. Uh, when you when you look up the definition of malik, M-A-L-A-K-H, that's the Hebrew word. They translated it only with two translations, and that's angel or messenger, right? Malik, angel or messenger. But there's one more translation that they didn't put in the English language, and that is Yahweh or Jehovah, meaning that uh, an angel, if you read the Bible, it says that an angel is a ministering spirit created to oversee man and to minister to us. But it's also a part of God, a fractal of God. So it's either an angel or a messenger or, or God or a part of God, a little tiny portion. God's omnipresent. He can appear to all 8 billion people at one time individually. He's talking to every tree, every blade of grass, every ant, every bug. He's giving instructions on how we all are to live. He's one telling these little machines in our body what to do. We're not. You don't tell um, your cells how to work. You don't tell your blood cells in your body, the white blood cells, to create an army and take off in a group and attack a disease. It already knows how to do that. How? So something greater encoded that. Gives it the information real time. Not once did it do it. It's doing it full time all the time. Every living thing. So that's just, I might get to preaching if I get wound up here. But I'm oh, sorry. Everything's great. Have the ETs ever given you a basic message for humanity. Yeah, and you know, I, I try to stay away from messages and prophecies and all that. I just want to guide people to a truth that exists and let them figure out on their own what it is where, you know, I, I don't want to tell you that that it's Angel Gabriel. I'd be lying, right? I, I couldn't tell you that. I can tell you that I believe that there are the angels. But what does that mean to me and you? Uh, I'm just relating it to the Bible. The Bible, those people weren't stupid back then. They knew more than we understood. Most people, the church believes everything in that book down to the last word. But yet when they look back at people 2,000 years ago, they're all primitive. They didn't have anything. But yet when it comes to the Bible, they're the supreme word. Right? And we don't know today what they knew back then. Well, that's poppycock. Because we're experiencing the same thing they were back then. The, the prophets in the Bible were seeing these orbs. Moses, this phenomenon, whatever it is. Uh, is it alien? I don't think so at all. Are there aliens? Probably. But I haven't dealt with it. I haven't experienced a flying saucer. I haven't experienced, even though I've seen them, um, but it's the same thing. I'm pretty sure 
and through much study with academics, Diana Pasolka, uh, and many more, um, they all believe it's the same thing they were seeing back then. But we got to figure out what it is. They, they labeled it angels. I'm reserving myself from labeling it. Other, I just want to introduce it and how I interact with it. I'm communicating with it. Yeah. This is contact. You know, you see movies, contact. You see these military guys all over television. I saw it. I saw it. I'm a whistleblower. But you come here, you can see it full time. In full living right now, you can see it. We film it and we're interacting. We're talking. It's talking tele telepathic to me. Uh, Jeff Kripal, a friend, says um, using prayer through telepathy through prayer to talk to him. So there's all kinds of ideas about it, but we've been long had contact long ago. 15, 16 years, almost 17 years ago, we made contact. And it's an ongoing thing. In fact, I know they're, they're communicating through the light, through pulses, through some sort of uh, Morse code or something, uh, as well as directly putting it into our head. So we're doing a lot of research. Earlier, you mentioned the pyramid and even NASA has it on their insignia. Can you tell us the significance behind that? Well, the first time they took me in 2007, the best memories I have of that is being uh, away and up high, looking down on Earth, just like when I was shot inside of an orb, this clear circular thing. Um, you could see, you could touch the wall, you could touch the floor, you're standing on it, but you couldn't see it. Is that clear? But the biggest memory from 2007 was being over the pyramids, seeing the Sphinx, being over uh, the Temple of Hathor, uh, seeing all of Asia and taking it in and hearing them tell me about uh, the natural world and and the animals and how the spirits uh, interact with us through nature, through through uh, birds and animals, just like the Egyptians. Their gods are not ancient aliens. You see that on TV. Their gods are depicted as birds and animals and crocodiles and jackals and that kind of thing. Not you know, Horus was a hawk, right? So where do they get this ancient alien thing? Who knows? But I do know they, they interact with us through birds and animals and owls and doves and many more. And so we have to pay attention to that. You mentioned that there's going to be something coming out on the History Channel. Well, I can't give it away, but... There's a new series, um, a hit series called Beyond Skinwalker. Instead of uh, this, the secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, it's totally dedicated to that ranch and to um, investigating everything from all the mysterious signals. to And they're doing a lot of good things out there, a lot of work. But uh, 
they decided, Brandon Fugel, uh, a tremendous guy, by the way, got to meet him and just just was an honor. But they're, they've created a new series called Beyond Skinwalker, which really means going beyond the ranch. And so they've done, I think there's nine episodes. We're the grand finale, but all the other ones, these seven or eight others are based on locations like Mount Wilson or um, Bradshaw Ranch or this ranch or that ranch or this Indian reservation or this one or that. But when they come to my house, it's not about a location. It's about me. It's about my connection and how it doesn't matter where I go. We went to three different locations and we filmed it anywhere I go. If I go to Utah, it'll appear. If I go to California, it'll appear. And we filmed it and we recorded that. And I think everybody will want to watch that series. And I'll be on August the 1st. Uh, my family, my children, at least three of them. And uh, I think everybody's going to have an eye opener when they see that. If they share half of what they got. Well, if they don't want to wait, they can go to your Instagram and check out a bunch of orb videos, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just say they got high definition cameras. I'm a poor guy. I've got a little $400 camera that is 720p and everybody rails at me. You got you got to focus the thing, get a tripod, all that. And, and if they were only here, they'd understand that. I, I'm not a wealthy guy and I can't afford all these high dollar cameras, but History Channel has got some real expensive ones with high definition lenses, 200 millimeter zoom. And I can't say anymore, but I think it'll be worth your time to watch that, that, that show. Everybody needs to watch it. If people want to find out more about your book, UFO of God, do they Check it out on your website or Amazon. Well, you can go both places. Uh, if you go to my website, ufoofgod.com, um, you can. There's a link there to Amazon, but also there's a lot more there. Uh, testimonials from from uh, academics to the heads of the CIA to. You know, Colonel John Alexander worked at Los Alamos National Laboratories, head of the non-lethal weapons division. He's experienced it with me. Uh, Jim Simivan from CIA has experienced it with me. Uh, and so there's a lot. Uh, and we're posting. We're just now starting to do some traveling. Like I'll be in Phoenix in, in January. I'll be in other towns you know we're planning that now so we'll be posting that on the website and a lot more and we're soon to release the spanish version um, the translation in audiobook ebook and uh, paperback probably hardback too but that'll be a couple of weeks to be able to buy it and i may end up in spain promoting it over there we're looking at that hard so it's really exciting uh, the book's a number one bestseller for five months since we released it, it's been number one in the religious categories, Christian faith, which has blown everyone away, right? Nobody could believe it. And it's just starting to go up. It's trending. It's not going down. It's still selling. And um, I'm blessed. I feel blessed. Uh, 
by this. So it's excited. Well, Chris, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. Um, and this is what I tell everybody I can. If I was uh, a negative, if I lived a negative life, or if I watched the news, I don't watch the news because it's too negative. All it does is, is, is you can't tell if it's real or not. And it puts false stuff in your head, makes you think the world's coming to an end. Oh, it's going to be a, this, the, 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 it's just so much out there to put this seed in your brain and rob you of what you're able to do. And that's to completely stay positive. Be good to your friends and your neighbors, your children, your wife. Treat others like you'd want them to treat you. Uh, if it's negative, turn it off. And uh, start there. Living happy. Find your happiness today. Don't worry about all that negative. And go outside and look up at the heavens. When you get this positive it takes a while to get there, but you'll you'll start seeing the world in a different way. Just turn it all off, and um, I'll I'll about guarantee you that you can start experiencing this phenomenon if you do that. But you got to shine the light. You can't do it and be negative. Chris, it won't come within a mile of you. I'm sorry. It's okay. I thought you were finished. No, go ahead and finish. No, that's it. I was just saying, being negative. If I was a negative person. You know, always cussing or fussing or, you know, this one's that or that one. I don't do that. If I did, I would never see this phenomenon. It wouldn't come within a football field up near probably five miles. Well, Chris, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. I am more than uh, honored to be on your show, Jeff. Thank you for having me. And uh, let's do it again. I'm glad you said that because I have a lot of questions that I didn't even get to. So yeah. I'd be I'd be happy and grateful to have you back. Yeah, well, let's work on it. And um, yeah, after especially after this History Channel thing airs, I think uh, there's going to be a rash of people wanting to have me on. So. Yeah, yeah, I may have to. I I don't want to use negative words, but I may have to fight <laughs> to get you back. I'll come back gladly. Uh, uh, well, thank you so much again, Chris. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.